kids often have great ambitions about what they're going to be and what they're going to do when they grow up. I want you to have a look at this little video clip, please. I want to be an astronaut when I grow up. I want to be an artist and a doctor once I grow up. I want to be a ballerina, a pilot. I want to be a basketball player. I got to be a policeman. The police officer gets a bag on. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. I'm going to be a fireman. I am going to be um, a ballerina when I grow up. When I grow up, I'm going to be a singer because I love to sing and I've been singing since I was like three. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. I want to be uh, a green biologist. I want to be a hockey player when I grow up. Yes, I want to be a video game designer. I love hockey video games, two of them. When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player or an ice cream man. Cool, huh? I keep telling my mom when I grow up I want to be a dog. <laughs> Can you remember when you, back when you were a kid what you wanted to be? Was it an astronaut or a fireman? Professional soccer player? Doctor? Pop star? Princess? Or even a dog. <laughs> um, some of you know that I wanted to be a scientist. and I, Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a scientist. I don't know what it was, but the idea of wearing the white coat and the safety glasses and doing some mad experiments was always something that I wanted to do. That was my ambition. And I think it's really important for kids to have those kind of dreams, isn't it? It feeds their imaginations. It gives them a goal to reach for. It inspires them to grow and to develop and to learn and to be all that they can be. But what about us now? Do we still have big dreams? Do we still have great ambitions? I think that sometimes as we get older, we start to kind of taper off our dreams. We lower our ambitions. We settle for what we have, rather than reaching for something more. Maybe we tell ourselves it's more sensible, more realistic to do it. Maybe it's a protective mechanism so we don't get disappointed when we don't reach our goals. Maybe it's partly because we live in a world where dreams don't often come true. Or even when they do, they leave us kind of empty and unfulfilled. But Jesus doesn't want us to lose all ambition. He doesn't want us to settle for who we are and what we have. In his fourth beatitude, Jesus taught that the blessed life is lived by those who have a certain deep longing and driving ambition. And we're going to look at that this morning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. Or if you just want to listen, that's fine. Matthew chapter 5 And verse 6, and these are the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's read that again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness, for they will be filled. Being hungry or thirsty is probably not something you'd immediately connect to the idea of being blessed. Usually we think of people who are blessed as people who have everything that they need, who are satisfied, who no longer have a sense of need. But when kids tell their parents, I'm hungry, they're not really trying to tell their parents how blessed they are. Rather, they're complaining that something's wrong, that their tummy is empty and they want food now. I remember being at the doctor with my mum when I was a really a kid and her asking the doctor why I was always hungry and why I was always finishing my dinner so quickly. I think she thought I had a tapeworm or something like that. Uh, instead, the doctor just suggested that she maybe could give me more food, which I thought was great. So one bit of doctor's advice that I really liked and I really wanted to accept. Being hungry or thirsty is about recognising a lack of something. It's a desperate awareness of our need. An overwhelming desire to meet that need. And so here is Jesus saying that in some way, the blessed life is lived by those who are still painfully aware of their need. Who have a passionate longing for more. And who desperately want their need met. Now that doesn't mean that everybody who's hungry is blessed. I don't know if you remember this guy. This is Barry Humphreys, the man who created and performed the character Dame Edna Everidge, who was on the telly lots uh, a number of years ago. And he wrote a book called More, Please. That's what he said. I always wanted more. I never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays, or first editions, or solitude, or gramophone records, or free meals, or real friends, or guiltless pleasure, or neckties, or applause, or unquestioning love. Of course, I've had more than my fair share of most of these commodities, but they always left me with a vague feeling of unfulfillment. Where was the rest? He's like so many people in this world. Hungry for possessions and fame and money and house, computer games and cars and friends, all in the hope of happiness and satisfaction. But the problem is that those who hunger and thirst for those things always end up feeling dissatisfied. That nagging emptiness never goes away. This is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5 and 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And then later on he says this, all men's efforts, all man's efforts are for his mouth. Yet his appetite is never satisfied. This is what happens when we seek to fill that hunger in our hearts with the wrong things. Jeremiah prophesied at a time when the nation of Judah had turned their back on God. And in chapter 2, verse 13 of his book, the Lord declared through him, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, 
that cannot hold water. They'd turned away from the only one who could truly satisfy their hearts to a broken and cracked well that could never, ever satisfy, no matter how much they tried. And sadly, all around this world today, we see people making the same mistake. They're hungry and thirsty for more. But they're trying to satisfy that from broken wells. Through materialism. Through religious activity. Through good works. Through success. Through fame. Technology. Entertainment. And the list goes on and on and on. It's like like eating junk food. It might take the edge off our hunger for a while. It might distract us for a short time. But in the end, it always leaves us still with that nagging emptiness and that unfulfillment. So our problem isn't that we are hungry. It is that we're not hungry enough. Instead of passionately seeking more than what this world can offer, we've settled for second best. We've lowered our ambitions. We've thrown away our dreams. And we've put up with what the world offers. Even though it's not what we need. This is how C.S. Lewis wrote. He said this, We are half-hearted creatures. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Put up with second best rather than deciding to keep on reaching for what we really need, what God really wants to give us. And so Isaiah challenges us. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labour on what does not satisfy? If we know that the world can never truly fill our hearts, then why do we keep on following it? Why not stop putting up with that second rate substitute and instead hunger for something more? So what is that something more that we should be hungering for? What is the thing that we, our hearts, are aching for? Well, Jesus said it's righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what does that mean? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, a key aspect of this righteousness is about how we stand legally before God. It's about having a a relationship with God, being accepted by Him, being welcomed into His presence, being able to enjoy fellowship with Him because there's nothing standing between us and God. And so hungering for righteousness is a deep longing to be right with God. To be able to to be with Him. To know Him personally in our lives. And to live with Him. This is how the sons of Korah in Psalm 41 described that. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. 
It's that longing to be right with God and to truly know God in our lives. But the problem is so many people are willing to settle for much less than this true righteousness. The nation of Israel did. They settled for a self-righteousness. And many people do the same today. A little bit of religion and respectability. Some rule keeping and some rituals. Some good works and kind acts. They believe and hope that these efforts are enough to make them right with God. And fit for his presence. But listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 verse 20. He says, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. No one. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. By keeping the rules, no one will be right with God. By by living a good life, no one will come into God's presence. No one will be justified before God through their own efforts. No one will be accepted just because they're a nice person or because they're good enough or because they keep the Ten Commandments or all the other commandments. God's glorious standard of holiness and perfection is too high for us to achieve on our own. None of us can get there. None of us can be good enough because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we settle for that do-it-yourself righteousness, then we'll always remain guilty in God's sight. We'll always remain condemned by His law and separate from Him. We will never be truly blessed. But the blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the true righteousness. And that righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself our sin and he paid that price in full. He did this so we could receive his righteousness, his Perfect standing before God. And so those who are blessed are those who've rejected the idea that they can make themselves right with God. They have seen their true poverty in spirit. They have mourned over their sin. And they've humbled themselves before God. And they've put their faith in Jesus. And they've accepted His gift of true righteousness. That we could never have worked for. Never have earned. Never have deserved. And Jesus' promise for those people is that they will be filled. If we simply come to Christ in our sinfulness and our helplessness and our need and we put our trust in Him and His finished work on the cross then we can know for sure That we have been declared righteous in God's sight forever. That we've been forgiven. That we've been adopted into God's family. That we know Him. This is the promise of the gospel. 
This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Amazing promise. This righteousness comes to all who believe in Jesus. So do we long to be right with God today? Do we long to know that we have been accepted by him and he will never push us away? If we haven't already done so, then we can enter into that blessing today through simple faith in Jesus. But this isn't the only aspect of righteousness that God wants us to hunger for in our lives. If we put our faith in Jesus, if we have been declared righteous in his sight, and our record has been completely cleared, and God has declared us righteous forever, then God wants us to live a life that is consistent with that. The blessed life is a life by those who, along with Paul, say, we make it our goal to please him. Not to try and earn that right standing before God. That's already been done and dusted by through Jesus Christ and our faith in Him. But we want to live a life that pleases Him because we love Him. Because we want to express our, our, our gratitude for all that He has done in our lives through Jesus. But we can't live that life through just keeping a list of do's and don'ts. We can't just say, okay, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Because that's like living, going back to living under the slavery to the law. That would be ending up living like the Pharisees did. Jesus condemned them in Matthew chapter 23, because he said this, You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. That was a tithing. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy and faithfulness. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. They did not live a blessed life. Because they settled for keeping the tiny details of the external demands of the law. Ticking off their accomplishments, ticking off their successes. But they missed out on the very heart of what it meant to live a righteous life. So instead, the personal righteousness that God is looking for, it's not an external conformity to rules. Rather, it's an inner righteousness. Jesus described that in more detail throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He says it starts with a heart and a mind and a motive and then expressing what we do and what we say and where we go and all those other things and how we treat others. It's a righteousness that comes from the inside out. So we can't produce this righteous life through having stricter rules or through just sheer determination or even through feeling guilty and manipulating each other to doing things that we, we should be doing. We can only experience this inner righteousness through God's power working in us when we put our faith in Jesus. This is what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 
in verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God who does this. If we've accepted Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then the Holy Spirit comes to work in us. To change us, to impact us, to empower us. To give us the new desire to live to please Him. And also the ability to live that out more and more in our lives. A change that doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow process. We will still see the, the evidence of our old attitudes and our old desires. But day by day, the promise of the scriptures is that we will be filled. Through seeing God's work in transforming our lives. In giving us a new desire to live for Him. Motivation to serve Him. Power to live that brand new life. And joy in worshipping Him in everything that we do. And one day, when Jesus returns, that process of transformation will be complete. Our sinful hearts will be fully changed. Our actions and our words will match who we are in Christ. And we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And so this is why the blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They passionately long to live for God. They humbly say that I want to please God with all my life. I want my, my life, my public and my private life, to honour the one who created me and the one who saved me. I want my life to be a life of purity and integrity and correctness of thinking and feeling and acting. I want my life to display the beauty and the glory of Jesus. And this isn't pride or arrogance. Neither is it pie-in-the-sky dreaming. That's because this is exactly what God's will is for our lives. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says that God chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Even although it seems too ambitious. The blessed have accepted God's goal for their lives. That he chose us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And so they have simply declared and decided that they'll never be content with anything less than God's best. They will not set for a, settle for something less. They will not lower their ambitions. They will not taper off their dreams. They will say, this is God's goal for my life and it's my goal too. Like Paul, they will have declared, not that I have obtained all of this or have already been perfect, 
by press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. They freely admit that they're not there yet. They recognize the spiritual poverty that still characterizes their lives. They mourn over the way they still rebel against God. But they invite the Holy Spirit into their lives to continue his work of changing their hearts, renewing their minds, and transforming their lives. They don't settle for the status quo. They have this driving ambition to live this life of righteousness for God, to please Him in their everyday lives, to be all that God wants them to be. Is this our driving ambition, guys? Is this our consuming passion? Have we made it our goal to please God? who saved us, who loves us, and has given this wonderful plan and purpose for our lives. This is what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness every day. But I think there's one last step that I think we should think about as well. Because if we have a passionate hunger and thirst to be right with God, if we deeply desire to live to please God, then we'll also have this desire for others around us. In this world of inequality and prejudice, of cruelty and abuse, of hatred and murder and dishonesty and crime, of slavery and oppression, of war and terrorism, where innocents suffer and the wicked seem to get away with it again and again, the blessed hunger and thirst for God's Righteousness to be seen. In Amos chapter 5 and 24, the Lord declared, Let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. This is God's desire for his world. That his righteousness will rule in this world. And the blessed echo this call. Their hearts ache for God's justice to be established in this world. Their hearts cry out for the captives to be set free. They are desperate for the lost and the hopeless to know the joy of of their sins forgiven. They passionately want their friends and their family and their work colleagues and their neighbours to come to know Jesus and to be brought into God's kingdom. In prayer, they cry out to God, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And in their lives, they answer God's call to go and make a difference in this world with a willing, Here am I. Send me. And one day Jesus promised, they will be filled. The blessed will see God's kingdom established because we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this world ultimately will not be disappointed.
they will one day see it established forever. So what are we going to be like? What about us? Are we going to be among those who lower their ambitions? Who reduce their dreams? Who settle for second best? Or are we going to be among those who are truly blessed? Who are going to reject all self-righteousness and instead, through their faith in Jesus, come to know God in their lives. To know that they are right with God. Are we going to refuse to tolerate the status quo in our lives and instead seek the Holy Spirit's power to live a life that pleases God each day? Are we going to grieve for a world of injustice and pain and passionately pray and work to see the coming of God's kingdom in this world? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled.